this week, three sides of the coin, we've got Stevie Rochelle from Tough on a KISS podcast. And I quote Izzy Presley, damn, I thought Dr. Fuck was scraping the bottom of the barrel, but now you've outdone yourselves. <laughs> Says the guy who's been on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. L- 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 listen, Izzy, when that barrel has nothing left in the bottom, we reach out to you. Yeah, we, we're like, it's like 20 after four. Hey, let's call Izzy because we don't have anything to talk about. <laughs> He's not doing anything. We know Izzy is not doing anything. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is a fun episode this week. Lots of metal sludge talk. This is Three Sides of the Coin. Talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. Three and a half coins. There's a half coin sneaking in on the right side there, yeah. Lisa. <laughs> That's what you get. That's what you get. Three and a half coins. <laughs> he's, he's, he's either sneaking in or flushing the toilet. Yep. That's One how we this house. Yep. um mark's not here no biggie we can actually get a decent interview in because mark's not here with our guest this week um tommy any comments you want to read yeah people are really liking uh the new episode with ron and um Thrilling 2 was really excited that there was a Tiger Tales reference. Hell yeah. One of my favorite episodes is the Fleur episode. I also walked out of the swine tour we left during the bass solo. So uh, a lot of stuff covered there. Um, talking about Motley Crue and, and different stuff. And then um, <laughs> Adam said that Ron is the Eric Singer of Three Side. I saw that. Yeah, I love it. Fantastic. Yeah. So keep keep bringing uh, keep making comments, guys. We appreciate it. Yep. So there's there's no um, there's no kiss stuff to talk about, obviously. So let's just kind of like jump right into this week's special guest. We're going way back. We're going back to metal sludge. We got Stevie Rochelle, the man, the legend, the man behind metal sludge. And not only does he talk about metal sludge, he shares some great stories about Gene, Paul, Vinny, Ace, and, and Bruce. Bruce. Oh, yeah. and by the way, an old co-host of this show as well. Yeah. You're not going to want to miss it. Oh, my. So let it roll. Stevie from Metal Sludge.
Want to get your official three sides of the coin logo and shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. So, Three Sides listeners, we want to welcome the infamous Metal Sludge. Isn't that your name? Is your first name Metal and last name Sludge? Well, I, I, I don't know if I'm infamous. I guess in some circles I might be. And, uh, yeah, I have a few different names. Uh, not all good. <laughs> not all bad, but... <laughs> Anybody can call me whatever they want. It doesn't affect me. We can, yeah, we can uh, call you asshole. I'm the guy that uh, started, founded. I, you know, I, I have thicker skin than some, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm able to deflect a lot of that without any, you know, inner, inner, inner feelings being hurt. So, I so, so for those of you who, who are the youngins of the world, as they say, and aren't familiar with metal sludge we've got stevie rochelle from he's the founder you created metal sludge you're also lead singer of a band called tough was it t-o-u-g-h something like that no t-u-f-f um we we spelled it like tough yeah like tough Turf the movie that was I love that in the middle of the 80s. Tough I love that, that movie. That's essentially where the name came from. That's where the name came from. And for those of you that are not familiar, it's a great 80s film with, um, uh, what's his name from The Blacklist? I can't remember the name of the of the actor. I'm not good with movies and actors. But I don't know who that yeah. is. I'll, I'll think what's the name of the film again? Tough Turf. Tough Yes. And, and and let's not hold it against Stevie that even though he's been in L.A. for a long time, he is a cheesehead. Oh, man. God almighty. I am a cheesehead. <laughs> Born and raised in Wisconsin. Well, Lisa, uh, you got to do that again on realistically, camera. Uh, you know, uh, realistically, uh, a short car drive from, you know, the UP, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which at some point you can cross that. I think it's Sault Ste. Marie and go right into Canada. So, I mean, from my door, if I wanted, I could probably drive to Canada in about, I think, six hours or something. Except you can't but, do um, that right now. <laughs> never went into Canada, actually, but I was up in... No, but I was up in Upper Michigan off and on throughout my younger years and over over my early 20-plus years of life. Well, it's a beautiful area. It really is. It's just... We're just asking why Packers, so, you know. <laughs> That's just wrong on so many levels. Yeah, well, I, I don't know who's all from where. Um, I don't know where you guys are all from originally, so I'm not sure who your football two, team is. Two of us Tommy, are, are from Minnesota, Minnesota, and one of – Tommy and myself are from Minnesota, and Lisa's from Pittsburgh. Okay, so, Lisa, are you a Steelers fan then? Because you got to ask. You never know. Hell Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she is okay oh yes she also, loves, she also loves hockey and is especially enamored with goalies it's like the joke that never dies god <laughs> if you ever stevie if you ever meet lisa put on some goalie pads and you're gonna score 
<laughs> right. Well, if you're the goalie, you're usually not scoring, right? I mean, you're preventing the scoring, so. That's true. But, that was, yep. But in this case, you will. <laughs> oh, I start off bad. Well, uh, uh, all right, all right. So, so let let's let's Stevie, let's chat a little bit. Um, before we get into some of your Kiss stories, because you have some Gene stories, some Vinny stories, um, even some stuff we'll discuss about an old co-host on this show. What? Give us a little of the history of Metal Sludge. How how did it come about? Why did it start? And and more importantly, let's remind everybody when it first started, it wasn't known who was behind it. It was kind of an, an anonymous thing. Everybody, right. I remember, everybody's like, who yeah. is this? Somebody yeah. knows their shit, but who is it? Right. Well, <clears throat> in the summer of 1998, I was putting out my first solo CD. And Tuff had been broke up for a few years. And I was trying to, uh, you know, I guess, go to the next page. And uh, I did a solo CD, which was very... Uh, Americana, acoustic-driven, kind of John Cougar Mellencamp-ish or something. And so I was trying to get some press with it, and none of the magazines would give me any, any attention, including one of which was Jerry Miller. I was trying to contact her to do a story on me, and she just wasn't interested. She kind of blew me off, and there was some things said through the grapevine about me, and it, was, it wasn't good. It was negative, and I took it to heart. I was mad, and I... I literally, and it was another industry person, and I'll leave her. I'll leave her a woman. I'll leave her nameless, so I don't throw her under the bus. And of course, this is twenty plus years ago, but she had told me what Jerry had said, and it was basically tell Stevie, you know, Stevie needs to realize it's over. It's time to move on. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to go to these shows. I don't know what he's doing. Kind of that kind of thing. In other words, give it up. And I, I just, you know, I, I literally was just fuck her. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start a website. Yeah, that's it. Because magazines are turning to shit anyway. They, anyways, and nobody's reading them. And I'm gonna call it Metal Sludge, and we're gonna basically just sludge her and sludge the magazine, and and just basically tell the secrets of rock and roll and you know '80s bands. And so it was kind of Jerry that stimulated the whole idea. And I went to it with my friend Sean Card, um, who was a buddy of ours that had went on the road with us and filmed us and edited videos and he had been a friend for a long time but uh he wasn't in bands but him and i basically co-founded the site and come up came up with all the ideas through the summer we were just coming up with what are we going to do okay well let's do it and we came out of the box and saying let's do it anonymously and the idea was to kind of do it like you remember the master magician the yeah, guy that yeah. went on TV and would show people how magic tricks were done, but he always wore a mask. And, and there was talk about, like, this guy was a, 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 a magician in the real magic world. And you take an oath, you know, because there, there's a lot of stuff that they did on that show where you're like, how do they do that? There's no way. And then they show you and you're like, oh, my God, that is, I, that is the stupidest, most trivial. Like, I can't believe that happened. Like, that was simple to figure out now that he told the secret. So me and Sean kind of said, let's do this though anonymously. So we're not going to be Stevie from tough and Sean, his friend. And when we decided we're going to come up with some kind of 
unique monikers as to who we would be. I had an idea that I learned about from Andy Setcher from Hit Parader magazine. So when Tuff was signed to Atlantic, we were in New York City at a dinner with Andy Setcher, who was the editor of Hit Parader. And I'm sure you guys probably remember him. Anybody that's over 40, 45 and read Hit Parader remembered Andy was the guy. So I, I was sitting at dinner with Andy, and I was talking about all the articles and all the reviews. And I said, well, who's all the, you know, who, how many people work there? And how many people do all this? And he goes, Stevie, I do the magazine, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, but, but who wrote this article? He's like, Stevie, I, I do all, all the interviews. I do. And I said, but no, there's, there's different names. And he literally put down his fork, and he looked at me, and he goes, you know, you want to know who wrote the article? He goes, this is who wrote the article. I'm eating my dinner, and I'm watching a baseball game. I take the first baseman's first name, Pete. Let's say it's Pete Rose. I'm going to take Pete. And I'll take the pitcher's last name. Let's say it's Raleigh Fingers. Okay? Pete Fingers. There's a review of a Motley Crue CD. I don't want to put my name on it. Pete Fingers did the review. And then he picked up his steak and his fork and started eating steak. And I was like, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. So I told Sean, I said, let's take one rock star's first name, another rock star star's last name and that's where you know sean came up with john uh janie bon neil which is janie janie lane bon, yeah. john bon jovi and neil vince neil and he's janie bon neil and then i came up with tammy sex slaughter which was tammy 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 uh down steve yeah. sex summers was the sex and then slaughter was the mark slaughter and then we did that with all the names like we took one guy's first name and another guy's last you know blackie's enough and Dana Brittingham and, and, uh, and even brilliant. Donna Anderson. Like a lot of people thought Donna Anderson was actually a girl. Donna Anderson was Donna Dierico and Pamela Anderson from Baywatch. And the photo we used was Bobby Brown. So people are like, oh, my God, Donna's hot. We're like, dude, that's, that's Bobby Brown. And they're like, hey, you know, I want to meet you. And I come to where do you live? And guys would be sending dick pics to Donna's email. Laughing our head off. That's so, yeah, that was the whole thing like we had these monikers and then and then everything we did we kind of borrowed from somewhere else like we list we were big stern fans so we're like well well howard always does this dude be a great we do something similar on our on our site and you know we read playboy magazine and they always did 20 questions with somebody famous so sean said hey let's do Let's do um, a 20 questions each month with someone famous from a group. And then we came up with, instead of having the playmate of the month, the sludgeette of the month, and then the sludgeaholic of the month. Yeah. And if you remember, usually the sludgeettes were usually hot girls, like sexy, cute girls that you, you know, groupie types. And then the dudes, a lot of times they'd be like big fat guys with beards and just kind of like, you know, so it was kind of like the Beauty and the Beast vibe. Like we wanted the girls to be really pretty, but the dudes to be just like this, you know, 350 pound dude with a beard that goes, dude, I love fucking slaughter. I love to go to slaughter shows, you know, <laughs> about it. So, again, all different little things that we started putting together in our little repertoire to launch the site. And then and then as time went on, it just it just things grew like we started selling shirts and then we told everybody we said hey if you get a picture with a rock star we'll put it on the site and so then people would buy shirts and go to shows and try to meet the bands and want the photos because then they could get their picture on the site you know and 
when we started selling the merchandise, people would go to the shows and the, and the site became more popular that the rock stars at some point would pay more attention to somebody if they had a shirt on. And one of the first things I remember that really stood out is that some, some guys went to a show and they were wearing sludge shirts and Ricky Rocket saw them and literally told his roadie, like, go up and give those guys passes and have them come back. And so, like, Ricky Rocket was super friendly to Sludgeaholics, and a lot of the guys were, you know, and he'd go up and say, hey, can I get a capture? And then it became, it became a thing, like, oh, you want to take a, send my picture into Metal Sludge? Okay, no problem. And if somebody acted like a dick, then those people would report it. And so the bands at some point kind of had to almost do what the fan wanted, because if they didn't, then they would look shitty, and then we would amplify it and go, hey, I guess who went up to so-and-so, and he was a total fucking asshole to him. And That's then some great. people would be like, well, I'm not going to go to his show anymore. Or, 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 or the contrary, they'd go, I want to go up to him with all my friends wearing shirts. Now we're going to bug, bug him even more. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. It was, it was just a really interesting time. And if you guys remember, this is before social media existed. Mm-hmm. There was no Facebook. Yeah. There was no MySpace. There was no YouTube. There was no Twitter, no Instagram, no TikTok, no fucking, none of that. So we were essentially the first social media for these hair band fans. And, you know, this was 98, 99, 2000. I mean, we were doing this before Steel Panther slash Metal School Metal Shop existed. Um, and they, at some point, when they started doing their gimmick, I was thinking to myself, because I saw it, I thought, wow, this is kind of like Metal Sludge Live. Like, these guys are dressing up, <laughs> yep. they're playing the, right. the songs, they're doing the crazy choreography, and then they're also kind of spoofing and, 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 you know, kind of busting balls and, you know, but having fun with it. And that, and that was absolutely our thing from the beginning. We were, not, we were not trying to be mean. We were trying to have fun. Was it mean-spirited? Yeah, sure, at times. But it's kind of like, you know when you get a group of people together and there's four or five of you and you guys are all having fun or even girls, at some point somebody's going to get the short joke. There's one person who's shorter than everybody, so everybody calls them the midget. You know, Even if they're five six, but if everyone else is six two, it's like, come on, midget, let's go. And so if you're the bald guy, you get picked on. If you're the chubby guy, you might get bitch slapped by your friends. But if you're tall and skinny, you're the, you know your bones or whatever, you know? So it was kind of like we, we busted balls, but it was from our perspective, it was done in a fun way. And at some point it just, it took off, especially in those first five, six, seven years. And it was, uh, it was pretty interesting to kind of ride it out. Well, Stevie, let me ask you, how quickly did the musicians Mm -hmm. start trying to figure out who was behind this? Well, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I mean, I don't know what, who was thinking at what point, but I think that what you said as you started to open this up, this, the first thing you said was clearly whoever was doing this definitely knew the, a fair amount of insight about the industry, not just professionally, but they also knew like what cover, you know, what local band Robbie Crane was in when he was 17. Like we knew a lot of stuff that, you really wouldn't have known unless you were in this scene. And um, I think at first it was kind of like, you know, everybody heard about it, but it just, it continued to grow and it got bigger and bigger. And we got bigger and bigger stars to do the interviews and wear the shirts. And 
And, um, you know, uh, kudos to myself and, and Sean, as I pat myself on the back, you know, I'm, I'm saying this just because I think that him and I both, we were, we were working together and we were very clever in some of the stuff we did. And at one point it was just, it was kind of like, you know, lightning in a bottle. It was just everything we seemed to do at some point just clicked and we were spoofing on everything. Like survivor was a big TV show at the point. So we did yeah. sludge viber and then we had the little, you know, the, the paint graphic with 20 rock stars on an Island. And then we'd have a poll every week, which one of these pricks should we vote off? You know, fuck, fuck Blackie Lawless, kick him off, you know, and then the voting would go, and at the end of the week, we'd erase him from the island. That'd be the next 17. Two more would go off, and then at the end, it, and people, was, it was interactive. You know, people were excited. They're, like, voting for, like, you know, it's down to Janie and Sebastian and Vince Neil. Who's going to win it, you know? And so, and of course, all the while, these guys were on tour, and some of them were going through trials and tribulations in life, whether it was divorce or DUIs or arrests or missing shows and it's just it was just kind of crazy how it all just kept it kept building you know and at some point it was kind of getting to a point where it wasn't out of control but it was getting to a point where we were making a lot of money and there was a lot of things going on where we couldn't keep it quiet anymore i'm like sean like we can't go to the bank with a you know, thousands of dollars per month and say, Hey, this is for bastard boy Floyd's account. You know, it's like we needed to have a real account and real, real documentation. And we couldn't, we couldn't be cashing checks with Janie Bond Neal's name on the, on the pay to pay to the order of. <laughs> so I've, I've always loved your site. I've always loved your site because you'll always say it like it is good or bad, but, there's always an element of humor to a lot of what you do. And, and it just seems like sometimes the uh, websites that are music websites are just too serious. Well, you know, and the thing is, it's funny. I, I've Googled, even after all these years, there's so many articles that we've run. And yes, you're right that, you know, we've, we've, a lot of times the headline alone it's like I had to laugh. Now I know the subject matter is, is not always funny, but I recently came across an old article and there was a situation with Donnie V from enough's enough where he was accused of making mess in somebody's house in their bathroom. Do you remember the story? No. Okay. So there was a story and it was, of course we don't know how legitimate it was, but it was, it was being talked about on social media and he was accused of making meth. So we sent a message to him through his social media, whatever, Facebooks, and we just said, Donnie, what's going on, this and that. And this was, there was like, it was somebody's house that he stayed at that accused him of it. And, of course, it was kind of a he said, she said thing. But at some point, we sent messages to Donnie, and he didn't reply. So we did an article, and the headline in all caps was, speed it up. Donnie V fails to reply to messages about making mess. The fact that the word speed is in the headline, you know, just speed it up. And then, you know, Donnie, Donnie V uh, accused of making mess at fans house in the bathroom. Like I just looked at that and I thought, now it's definitely mean, but it's really actually kind of funny if you think about it, you know, and yeah. I stumbled across other headlines we had with Sebastian where Sebastian was selling, you remember when he was selling one of his armoires 
like he had a wooden arm wall from his living room that he was selling a couple of years ago when he moved. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was on, I was on eBay and I think it even made it on Blabbermouth. Well, we basically took the story and the headline was firewood for sale. It was a picture of Sebastian standing next to this armoire with like one of the doors is missing and one of the drawers is broken. And again, you know, Blabbermouth covered it as Sebastian Bach selling collectibles from his garage, but Metal Sludge was like, no, that's firewood that's for sale. Boom. You know, uh, picture of him at some point, I think when he was actually at his new house in the last year, and he took a picture outside where there was a horse in the background, and then he was building the drum hut. Remember when he was building a studio to record drums in or something? Again, it was covered by Blabbermouth and Sleaze Rocks and everyone else, but we took the picture with the horse, and it was, you know, the headline was horsing around at Sebastian Bach's house at his new studio. And again, a little mean. The, 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 the photo of Sebastian wasn't the best photo, you know, next to the horse, but that was always the, 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 the idea is to, to be goofy, to be funny, and be a little bit Saturday Night Live-ish, a little Mad TV-ish, a little Howard Stern-ish with the delivery, you know? Where, Stevie, were there any artists that you particularly loved writing about because they always created headlines for you? Well... I mean, at some points over the years, I think there's guys that, you know, yeah, everything they did at some point seemed to make make news. And it was not always for the bad reasons, but sometimes for the, like, the, like I can't believe this reason. I mean, sadly, Janie Lane has, has left us, you know, and, and died a, in a really bad situation. But over the years, that you know, Janie was a great performer. He was a friend of mine. He wasn't a best bro, but we, we were acquaintances for many years. We became more friendly in the, in the last five, six years of his life. But I remember there was a time when he had gotten like multiple DUIs inside of like two weeks on the same street. And he was arrested by the same officer and it was on TMZ. And of course he was okay at the time. And, you know, he smashed into a car and like, you know, Warren Singer gets DUI again on the same street and Steven Adler had situations that repeated themselves. Sebastian, whether he was getting arrested for throwing the ashtray into the mirror at the strip club where his wife used to work or when he threatened to blow up the, you know, the bar in New Jersey with, you know, get arrested with pot in his pocket. And, you know, some of those guys just couldn't get out of their own way. And of course, yeah, they did. They were sludge headlines on multiple occasions. And, I've I've had guys over the years that confronted me about that, and not not in a bad way, but just like, hey man, why are you always doing that, or why why are you just picking on him? And I'm like, nobody's picking on anybody. I mean, there was a period, and I don't think I'm off. Sebastian was arrested like six to eight times inside of about ten years. It seemed like he wasn't, you know, West Scantlin level of puddle from puddle of mud, but I mean, Sebastian seemed like he was getting arrested about every year or sixteen months. And um, <laughs> I always said. When was the last time we did? When was the last time we did one of these articles on Eric Turner from Warren? We didn't, because Eric's doesn't. Eric's not getting DUIs. Eric's not overdosing. Eric's not beating up his girlfriend and getting jailed for it. You know, when was the last time we did one of these articles on uh, Frank Hannon from Tesla, or Tom Kiefer from Cinderella? 
Yeah. Or Steve Lightman from Kicks. We're not doing articles on those guys because they're not getting the, they're not getting arrested for DUI. They're not not making it to the show because they you know got drunk in the airport and fell down in the luggage carousel and were going around in circles on TMZ. They weren't doing that. But certain guys in certain bands at some point, you know, allowed their their uh, recreational time to in, involve uh, the press and. It it made for uh, not always good news for them. Stevie, do you recall any time where you were still anonymous to everybody and you were with a musician who was talking to you about Metal Sludge going, God, did you see what Metal Sludge wrote about me? Did that ever happen? Did you have to bite your lip? Um, Those exact words, did you see what they wrote about me? No. However, I I lived here. I've lived in Los, in the Los Angeles area in the suburbs since 1987. Um, when Sean and I started this in the late nineties, um, he, he was, he's from Michigan. So he wasn't out here and he obviously wasn't as, not that I'm high profile, but I'm a higher profile name and person or personality within this industry than he is for sure. So I was going to events, the Roxy, the rainbow, certain concerts, you know, showcases, whatever it may be. And I'm, I'm in the mix. And there was lots of times where people were talking about, did you see what sludge did today? Did you see the news, the 20 questions? Did you see this? And people would be just having a hoot about it. And I'd suddenly be in the middle of that conversation. And that's usually when I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to grab a Red Bull. I'll be right back. You know, I like, I'd have to like (laughs) explain myself to go grab a drink or go take a piss and, it was at some point it was becoming uncomfortable because I was, I'm not a good liar. I'm just not, I've never been a liar. Um, so being in that position, I was feeling it very difficult to continue to, to not lie, but just essentially keep this, I'm not good at keeping secrets either. So I was just like, at some point, you know, as a couple of years, three, four years went by, I told Sean, I said, we have to do something because I, it's it's getting it's getting too big so before we move on to your kiss related stuff because our kiss fans are going to be like shut up and let's talk kiss we would be remiss remiss is a big word like gymnasium um we would be remiss if we didn't ask you the latest metal sludge throwdown i guess you could call it was between you and mitch lafon what the hell happened right. there stevie <laughs> well you know i've explained this i think i explained it in my in my article uh and i've explained it to a few other people that i've talked to and i, I might have explained it on a few podcasts as well um but you know, Mitch just crossed the line with me, and he crossed it one too many times. And, you know, I guess the short version is that he continued to take little cheap shots at me, at my site, um, kind of, you know, talking out of the side of his mouth, discrediting me, discrediting Metal Sludge, calling us unfair journalism, and... um You know, the thing is, I've known Mitch a long time. I've never personally met him. We've talked on the phone a few times 
couple of years as I've done a couple of his shows, I guess I was a guest on. And of course he always wanted to share information with me or get information from me or try to tell me, Hey, guess what I know, or guess who told me this. And, you know, I guess a lot of us at some points exchange information like that in this business. You know, I, I have a site, uh, Andrew McNeese has a site, uh, the Oliver guy used to be running with Skid over there at Sleaze Rocks. They have a site and he has Blabbermouth and Rob Jones and Long Paul have KNAC. And there's, there's a bunch of us that have sites and we have for a good period of time here, you know, a couple of decades. Mitch doesn't own a site though. Mitch is like, I don't even, you know, I guess he could be considered a freelance journalist, but he's really, and I say this not to be mean, I'm just saying, because this is my opinion, he's, he's kind of like a glamorized fanboy with a, you know, a, a pass to actually do an interview as well. Because anybody whose profile photos on all their pages are usually him with somebody in Kiss or Alice Cooper or so-and-so from this band or whoever, you know, I, I just think that's a little fanboyish myself. So Mitch himself, he would come to me with stuff, and he, I always found that he was kind of two-faced and two-sided in the way he talked. And when he did to me, not once, not twice, not even three or four times, but, you know, the better part of a half a dozen times in types, inside three or four months, I confronted, on him, uh, confronted him on it. We went back and forth, um, and, you know, I unleashed. I did what I did. And at some point... You know, we've all done this in the industry, including guys in bands. We've taken shots at each other and said things that maybe the other person didn't like. But most of us brush the dirt off and move on. Okay, screw yeah. that guy. I don't like him. I'll block him. I don't need to see his stuff. I don't want him to see mine. Mitch, though, he, he went, he's like a little girl. You know, he, he called the Better Business Bureau on me. The Better Business Bureau. I mean, isn't that something that you write a, a letter to, like when a taco stand gives you a bad taco in, you know, your local town? I mean, I'm getting <laughs> multiple letters in my P.O. box from the Better Business Bureau that I'm running a bad business here. It's just like, really, dude? So, That's ridiculous. And anything I had on any social media from Instagram, anything from Instagram to Twitter to Facebook, he sent all kinds of complaints. I I'm bullying him. I'm harassing him. Cyber bullying. So, of course, all these platforms, you know, because it's they got to be politically correct, especially in the society as it is right now. Send me the little warnings. Dear user, dear Mr. Metal Sludge, dear Mr. Rochelle, blah, blah, blah. Quit beating up the little kids. Quit slapping little people in the head. It's not fair. It's not right. You're mean. You're a bully. Take it down. <laughs> and at some point it's like for about a for about a month there, every day i woke up there was two or three notices from somebody telling me that you know i was a bad person and um so you know it is what it is but you know i said what i said everything i said is 100 percent factual it's 100 percent true i have the evidence to back it up and mitch hey I know you're listening. You should just own it. Don't go trying to tell people one at a time that I manufactured those, uh, those screen captures. Cause I didn't. And, uh, he tried to say that to Troy Patrick Farrell from this, that, and the other. And Troy presented that to me and said, Hey, by the way, you're going to be called out on this. And I said, Oh, really? I 
I screen captured and I uh, photoshopped stuff. And it was like, well, that's what Mitch is saying. So I basically then took one iPhone and another, and I filmed all the exchanges with Mitch, and I sent video content to Troy, and I said, hey, if he wants to go online and on your podcast and say I've manufactured this, have at it. Here's the, here's here's more proof. And if you want me to drive to your place and you can look through my phone, it's there. Everything that was printed, Mitch Lafon said, word for word, verbatim. But of course, he's trying to erase history. But once the toothpaste so, is out of the tube, it ain't going back in. So, so the question I have for you then, Stevie, is in a situation like this, whether it's Mitch or somebody else. When someone is calling the Better Business Bureau and they're doing all these things to try to discredit you, but you have physical proof of what you say to be true, then how are they able to make any type of inroad at all? Right. You know, I mean, here's the inroad. The inroad is that Twitter sent me some stuff and said, don't bully this guy. This content isn't fair. He's hurt. He's affected. He started saying some nonsense online that his family was getting death threats. That's total bullshit. Um, but at some point, Twitter just said, you know, hey, if you, if you want to keep punching the kid, if you want to keep slapping around this dude, you're being the bully. We're asking you not to be the bully. Please don't bully this person. So we ask you nicely to take it down. If you continue to bully this person and do this type of activity against this person, we might have to interrupt your account. Blah blah blah. So of course they're they they're just they have nothing to lose, I guess, with if if Metal Sludge doesn't have a Twitter account. So, but you know, I I believe from what I've been told by them or what they sent me. I mean, Mitch was like obsessive with it. Like he was sending messages every day and filling out the anti-harassment forms and the cyberbullying links and going through every every platforms like rules and regulations and rules of use and fair abuse and everything that he could have clicked or sent or acknowledged that he was being hurt or harmed, he filled it out, including the Better Business Bureau. I think the last time I heard anything about the Better Business Bureau was like, I think an old tanning salon permit that I had revoked like fucking 29 years ago or something. (laughs) I didn't know they were still around. So well, the Better Business Bureau is more for like um, yeah, I didn't know that they yeah, I didn't know high businesses and corporations, and you don't take call the Better Business Bureau on another person. That's just ridiculous, you know. Or 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 a dumb website like Metal Sludge, like (laughs) hello, Metal Sludge is harassing me. You know, being harassed by Metal Sludge. Face. Yeah, it was it was silly, you know. Uh, it's it's in the rearview mirror as far as I'm concerned. But you know, Mitch shit the bed with blabbermouth, and he shit the bed with brave words, and he shit the bed with metal sludge, and you know, he was even talking shit about Andrew McNeese and melodic rock over there. But I guess they're still going to be kangaroo lovers or something. I don't even know. But last I heard, McNeese is halfway out anyways because he wanted to sell it. So I don't know. I guess Mitch is just going to do his little little things on YouTube that get 31 views. So good luck with that. All right. We had to get that out of the way. 
that'll open up a can of worms that I'm sure we're going to hear about at some point down the road here. Let's go to the next hot topic that I just love to poke the rat's nest, the hornet's nest about. This gentleman by the name of Vinny Vincent. He's a good, good friend of ours. He loves us deeply. <laughs> I say that with all sarcasm. Tough opened up. <laughs> tough opened up for Vinny Vincent. Yeah, um, God, I'm not looking at. Uh, I'm not looking at the details right now, but I'm going to say it was. Um, if somebody's there with a Google in front of them, whatever, whatever he his band broke up. We were the second to last show on that last tour. So Tough opened up for the Vinnie Vincent invasion at the Palace in Hollywood. And um, the things I remember are are the following. We got there to sound check, and it was just Vinnie on stage by himself. And the guitars were blazing, and everybody was covering their ears. And at some point, it went on for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes, and I thought, I don't see the, I don't see Bobby Rock. I don't see any other band members. And so Vinny did a sound check by himself and was giving instructions over the mic and turn this up and turn that down. And I mean, I don't know how much louder the guitars could have been, but he, he played his guitar for what seemed like forever. At some point it ended and then he left the stage and I thought, Oh, okay, good. They're done. But then Exit stage left is Vinny, and then coming from the other side of the stage, now Bobby Rock is there, and Dina Strum is there, and Mark is there. And Mark is, is a, a very good guitar player as well, so he straps on a guitar. Now they do a real sound check, which, which sounded like the band. You know, they're playing the songs, there's bass, there's drums, there's guitar, there's, you know, solid rhythm guitar with, you know, a couple of riffs, and then Mark's voice is soaring through, and they're playing, I don't know, boys, boys with... Uh, what was it boys? Boys will be boys, or boys are gonna rock, or something like that. Um, so yeah, they did. They did a sound check which sounded like a normal sound check, and I was thinking, like, why is that? Why did they do that? Like, why isn't Vinny playing? And of course, this is—I was never really in that camp. I didn't know everything, but obviously, over years, I came to learn that there was a huge divide, and you know, they barely talked to each other. And so, at some point, yeah, there was di- there was different sound checks for the Vinny Vincent edition. The band did one. And then Vinny did one all by himself, um, which I thought to be very odd. Um, but that show was a great night for us. Um, I had been in the band for, God, I'm going to say less than a year, maybe eight months, something like that. And um, Vinny Vincent was the headliner. Tough was the support. And the opener was a band called Brunette with Johnny and Joey Gioli, who yep. went on to become hardline yep. at some point um, yep. after the fact. And then um, I want to say... Right. Vinnie Vincent, I think, played one more show, like in Orange County or something like that. And then that was that was the end. And then, I don't know, it seemed like nine months later, a year later, Slaughter released a record and it sold a million copies in the first six months. And they were opening for Kiss of all of all bands in sold out arenas. And I think that was the last we heard of Vince, uh, Vinnie Vincent, except for the box set which nobody still got <laughs> and, and the recent uh, speedball jams that he did that, you know, fans paid $500 to see, but yeah, that, that was one of my Vinny stories. And the other one we did was a similar situation where we did a photo shoot for rock scene magazine and Beth Nussbaum had uh, 
organized it with Kenny Kerner. And for all the diehard uh, KISS fans, you know that Kenny produced, was it the first or the second or the first and second KISS record, right? Right. Yeah. I was going to say, did I just stump the KISS guys? Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're agreeing um, with you. Kenny, Kenny was a big... Oh, okay, maybe there was a the delay, or you guys were just being polite and waiting for me to stop <laughs> babbling here. Um, so yeah, Kenny Kenny was a Kenny was a big tough man. Um, so Kenny put in magazine a lot, and we were organized to do a photo shoot, which they do this a lot of times. A photographer will rent a studio, and then they'll if they're in town, they'll film or shoot, you know, four bands in an afternoon. So somebody from 11 to one, somebody from two o'clock to three, somebody from four thirty to five thirty, and somebody at night. And we were right after the Vinnie Vincent invasion. And when we got there, Vinnie was already gone. Mark and Dana were still there and they were really, really nice. And I had met them anyways, um, in a, in a session, also set up by Bess Nussbaum uh, when Dana was producing White Heat demos, uh, who went on to be called Firehouse. And at some point, they needed some background singers. It was late at night, and Bess Nussbaum called me and said, can you guys come to Cherokee Studios in Hollywood? We need some guys to sing backgrounds, done some songs. Dana Strum and Mark Slaughter are producing it, so we drove from the valley, went down there, and we sang backgrounds on there ought to be a law. I think that was the song <laughs> by, nice. by uh, White Heat, uh, one of their demos. So Mark and Dana were there that night. That was a good time. The photo shoot was a good time, but Vinny wasn't there. Uh, Bobby, I think, was just leaving when we arrived. And then we did the show with them, which, again, those guys were all cool. Mark was always really personable to us, uh, as was Dana, even though Dana was really the business guy. It's like well, Gene he's... Simmons with blonde hair. Yeah, you know, he'll, he'll 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 address you, but he's he's very business. He, and he, Stevie, he seems to really be involved very. in so many projects. It's unbelievable how many balls he has in the air. He's always coordinating things. It seems like. Yeah, and he's been doing that for forty plus years because, as as people have read, he was the guy that you know told Sharon, this kid from Burbank, named Randy, should be your guitar player. You know, for Ozzy and. Yeah, he's 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 been around a long time, and we've we've had you know, like I said, a handful of exchanges over the years with those guys. As the Vinnie Vincent invasion, they were those guys were always cool. Never really had any personable uh, exchanges with Vinnie. Uh, we've run a few stories on Sludge, but it's usually stuff that's you know essentially recycled, and I've gotten from some type of Kiss outlet because the Kiss people are are all over the Vinnie thing, and. Um, yeah, and Dana and Mark over the years have always been cool. Of course, of course, Slaughter went on to huge success, and and I've remained friends with Mark more than uh, the others over the years, forever. And uh, Tim Kelly was actually a, f- a friend of ours as well because he was in a local band for many years, um, for a few years at least, before he joined Slaughter. And you know, sadly, he he passed away in that car wreck all those years ago. And he was he was a good guy. Mark uh, or Tim was a really good guy. Let let's let's talk Gene Simmons. You got some fun Gene Simmons stories. Yeah, I got a couple of good Gene ones. Well, the first the first ones were we were 
Films for the Decline of Western Civilization, Part Two: The Metal Years. Now, this was being filmed in the fall of 87, maybe even early, early 88. And um, Penelope Spheris, who was the director, who went on to direct Wayne's World and other, the Beverly Hillbillies and some other big movies, she, she just came up to us on the strip, you know, I guess like she did all the other bands. And we were already buzzing. The name Tough and us being out in the scene was was you know we stood out essentially essentially and so she's like hey i want to film you guys and she filmed us on the strip and she had me and michael come to the studio and so when it came time for the premiere which is at the cinerama dome on sunset boulevard a very famous theater this that big round bubble looking theater that's down really close to where amoeba records yeah. now sits or used to sit as it's about to move so we're at the we're at the premiere and everybody's there. I mean, a lot of the bands, a lot of the celebrities, including Gene, and he's sitting with Penelope. So we do the red carpet, we walk in and out, and then the thing happens, and everybody's around, and photographers. And Penelope comes up to me after the fact, and she said, Stevie, she said, Gene could not stop talking about you. And I'm like, Gene? Who's Gene? I thought it was a girl, you know? Yeah. She goes, Gene Simmons from Kiss. And I was like, oh, okay. She said, yeah, when you came on the screen and you started talking, he elbowed me and he said, who is that guy? And I told him, oh, that's Stevie. That's Stevie Rochelle from Tough. And Jean's like, okay. And then she said, 10 minutes later, your face pops up again and you're with some bimbo. And Jean said, hey, hold it. What's this kid's name again? And she said, Stevie from Tough. And he's like, okay, Stevie Tough. So I guess every time I popped on the screen, Jean said, who is this kid? And then the next time he said... <laughs> This kid's a star. And, and Pe- Penelope tells me that. So I'm outside the Cinerama Dome. And I'm only in L.A. for not even maybe a year at this point. And, of course, things were happening. And I'm excited. And the band's getting attention. But she's like, Stevie, Gene couldn't stop talking about you. And I'm like, great. And, and honestly, I was never a Kiss fan. The first time I saw Kiss was on the Lick It Up tour. And I thought Vinny was the coolest guy in the band. <laughs> <laughs> I was really late to the Kiss party. I was not a, I wasn't a metalhead growing up. I was in the New Wave, Devo, and the Boomtown Rats, and all the stuff that was, you know, Duran Duran. So I was kind of new to metal. So even this is only a handful of years removed from me deciding I'm going to be, you know, a rock singer. And she's like, this is important. You need to pay attention. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I heard you. She goes, no, he's a very powerful man. And I was like, okay, great. You know, and I'm thinking, is he the ugly guy in the band? Like, that's what I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> How is the ugly guy important? You know, like, again, this is this is a dumb 22-year-old blonde from Oshkosh that, you know, is not realizing how important this is that Gene Simmons is interested in me. You know, and part of me was probably like, oh, he likes me? Well, you know, I, I, you know, I thought Gene was a girl. You know, she's like, no, like, he likes your band. So throwing all that aside, now... We go to the whiskey, fast forward six months, eight months, whatever. We're at the whiskey. And if you guys have ever been to the whiskey, you know, it's not very big. It's small. Yeah. And somebody was there. It was an important show. But Kiss, Gene and Paul are upstairs. Everybody's freaking out. Oh, my God. Gene and Paul are here. Gene and Paul are here. And we were we were pretty legit. So we, we were able to get upstairs in the VIP and we're up there. And Michael, the drummer, he says, go up to Gene and say hi. And at this point, we'd never met him. So 
so I just saunter right up, and before I get there, he stops and he points at me. He goes, Stevie, tough. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's me, you know. And so there's Paul, there's Gene. Gene, you know, acknowledges who I am. I put my hand out and I shake it. And, and of course, now, again, I probably came across a little bit arrogant, but it was it was also a good feeling knowing that all these people were, like, in awe of this demon god and I kind of walk up and he's like, Hey, Stevie tough. Like he, he stops me in my tracks and points to me and, you know, informs me that he knows who I am. So it was, a, it was a good thing. And, um, from there on, we, we had had some interest from, from Simmons records. And I remember our drummer saying, we are not signing with Simmons records. Like if there's one record deal on the table and that's the only one, we're not going to sign it. And, you know, I remember also at the time looking back and thinking, I loved Black and Blue. I knew who Keel was because Todd's brother was in Keel. I knew the guys in Silent Rage. But it seemed like everything Gene did outside of Kiss didn't really go that far. You know, like it just, there was some limitations to what he was doing, I guess, in those departments. So even locally, as, as, as much as we were buzzing, we were like, Michael was like, we're not signing with Simmons Records. And, and I was like, okay, you know, yeah, I mean, we, we want to be further up the totem pole than I guess some of these other projects that he may have worked with. And I, again, I don't say this to be an arrogant prick or, you know, we were just thinking beyond, we, we, we had a better shot than that. And so now years, years fast forward and we did get signed to Atlantic and we did, um, we did record with them. And at some point our publisher somehow put us together with Gene Simmons and we were then invited to his house and we got to his house and uh, it was on up in uh, Benedict Canyon or Mulholland drive. And we buzzed the buzzer and the voice answers. And then he says, come on up and pull next to the Range Rover and come in the guest house. And so we pull up door open. There's Gene standing there. He, he greets us. We walk in, it's me, Michael and George. And we're sitting in this, uh, this guest house, which is just covered with kiss stuff. Like behind his desk is the kiss with the, you know, the 50 million platinum records and all the different stuff. And it was magazine racks with just kiss magazines. It was shelves with just kiss toys. And at some point there was a box of Domino's pizza and it was like from the night before and Gene just opens it and he's eating pizza. And he says, if you guys want a soda, go grab one. So he points to the kitchen. We go into the kitchenette area. Everybody grabs a soda. And now we sit down on these chairs in a semicircle and we're working on some songs. As a matter of fact, the song we worked on that we wrote with Gene was called One Way Hell Ride, um, which we never officially demoed, but I have some cassettes of us playing it at Gene's. So we're sitting in, in the semicircle and Gene's sitting here with an acoustic bass. George has got a guitar. Michael's got a shaker. I'm kind of humming and we're kind of beating through this song and George is tapping his cowboy boot. And all of a sudden I look down and I see purple grape soda just pouring out of the can all over the floor. <laughs> and I have this look in my eyes and Gene's looking at me like, what the hell? And I, and I kind of like, I'm motioning like, look on the floor, you know? And he looks on the floor and he just keeps playing and he goes, he points to the kitchen. Doesn't say anything, just points to the kitchen. So I run in the kitchen 
I'm scrambling for towels, you know, run back. There's purple soda, just, you know, a fucking small lagoon of grapes around George's feet. And uh, Gene just kind of looked at me and shake, shook his head like, you fucking morons, you know. Yeah, so we, we, we poured grape soda all over Gene's carpet. <laughs> and then um, the next... The next meeting we had with Gene was we were rehearsing at Studio D in Burbank. Now, Studio D, D stands for Drew. Drew is the original, see, the I think he was the drummer in Quiet Riot. Right? I don't know. I'm waiting for my Quiet Riot source to, to, to tell me I'm right. Um <clears throat> I'm trying to remember the guy's last name. Yeah, Drew was the original drummer in Quiet Riot. He has a studio, and there was a big room where, like, Motley would rehearse, and Kiss was locked out in there with Paul and Gene. And at this point, Eric Singer had just come in because Eric Carr was sick, but he, he, hadn't, he hadn't passed away yet. He was, he was ill, though, and they were working Eric in after... I guess probably Alice Cooper dates or something. So we were in there rehearsing. And at some point Gene saw us and he stuck his head in our room. He's like, you want to work on that song? And we're like, uh, yeah, sure. So Gene just piles in, sets down his jack and his sunglasses, puts on a bass. Let's go through the top, you know, George, turn that guitar amp up, lean it this way. Michael hit the snare harder. No, less fills. Stevie, turn the mic up. He's like, complete in control, you know, essentially yelling at us, you know, <laughs> but it's a shame that we didn't have a video camera and nobody had cell phones at that point. But yeah, Gene's got a bass on and we're stumping ourselves through one way hell ride for about 10 minutes as he waited for Paul. And, um, and then the last Gene story I have was <clears throat> when we worked on those songs at Gene's house, way back 1990 91 whatever it was um he at some point he goes i got a couple of tapes here why don't you take this and check it out and it was a song that he'd written with tommy thayer and jamie st james from black and blue and the song was called american man and it was a cassette and it had their names on it so i took it we never used it for anything but many years go by it's like a decade later and Alex from Shameless, as everybody knows, you guys know who Alex is. Yep. Yeah. Big Kiss fan. I had told him about the song. And he's like, oh, we, we got it. We got to use that song. We got to use that song. You know, put it on one of the Shameless records. And I'm like, he goes, well, you need to somehow get a hold of Gene. So I, I dig through my old phone books and I find a number for Gene from like 10 years earlier. And I call it. And I got a voicemail with an English-speaking uh, woman. And I remember from years earlier calling it. It was like, you know, hello, you've reached the offices of Gene Simmons. Please leave your name and number. We'll call you back. And I'm like, oh, that's the same number. That's the same voicemail. So I left my name, left the number. A couple days goes by, and I'm doing house chores. And my phone rings. So I answer the phone. Hello, Stevie Rochelle, please. I'm like, uh, yeah, this is Stevie. Stevie, Gene Simmons from Kiss. How can I help you? And I was like, uh, well, uh, so um, that one time, um, yeah, he goes, Stevie, let me help you out. Who, what, where, why, when? I said, 
This is TV from Tufts. Do you remember me? He goes, yeah, I remember you. What do you want? <laughs> and I said, Gene, we came to your house. Me and George and, Ty, uh, and Michael from the band, we worked on some songs in your, in your guest house, and we spilled soda all over. I go, do you remember that? He goes, I do. And I go, and you gave me a tape with a song called American Man. He goes, yes. I said, it was a song you did with the guys from Black and Blue, Tommy and Jamie. He goes, okay. I said, I want to record that and put it on my own record. It's going to be like an indie release. There's no label. Do we have to, do we have to sign something with you? Can we do it? Do I have to get permission? He goes, do you know Tommy Thayer? I said, I do. He goes, do you have his phone number? I said, I'm not sure I have a current number. Get a pen and get a piece of paper. I was like, okay, ready. Two, one, three, blah, blah, blah. Barks out the number. He goes, you call Tommy and whatever he says goes. I said, okay. And he goes, anything else? I said, I saw a show a few years ago and it was with all the you know original guys. I said, you guys hit the costumes. I said, it was awesome. I had a great time. And he goes, is that it? And I said, yeah, that's it. And he goes, thanks a lot, Stevie. Have a good day. <laughs> and so then uh, I called Tommy and I said, Tommy, <laughs> Stevie, blah, blah, blah. This is what Gene told me. He goes, do whatever the fuck you want with the song. Just put his name on it with the man of 10,000 faces as the, cup or the, uh, the, the publishing. I said, that's it? He goes, yeah. What's up with you guys? And I was just like, okay. So then, so then I went about my business with Tommy and... But every time I had interactions with Gene, he was super cool. He was nothing but nothing but nice. And the the phone call was hysterical though, because I was kind of a little nervous and then at some point he's I'm like, Do you know who I am? He's like, Yeah, I know who you are. What the hell do you want? <laughs> That's great. But he's all business. He called me back. Um, how about some uh Bruce Kulick stories? Yeah, the Bruce, and then I got a, I got, I got a Paul Stanley story too. Um, oh, great! I'll give you the great. Bruce one. So I had never really known Bruce. I had never really known Bruce that well. Like I did see him around, I guess when he was in, maybe in Union, with John Karabi and those guys. Yep. Yep. Oh, I, I, I got an Ace Freely story as well. Great. So, the the one time I probably had met Bruce was when I went to the union show at the country club and it was John Karabi and Bruce. And then, um, the drummers from Canada, right? Yes. Brent Fitz. Fitz. Yeah. Brent Fitz. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Brent Fitz was the drummer. And then, um, Jamie hunting. Is that Huntington or something like that? Is that the bass player? Jamie hunting. Yeah hunting right so we're all at the country club and of course this was like probably the late 90s and it was kind of a big deal because this was bruce's first band after kiss and gene and paul came and at some point again gene and paul are in a balcony everybody's watching you again everybody's excited it was you know probably seven eight hundred people there maybe more and i'm in the very back of the room and I, I knew a lot of people, but at some point I'm, I'm not up front. I, I don't need to be backstage. I'm literally in the back of the, the room and I'm sitting at a table all by myself. And this guy walks by in a trench coat with a girl and he said, 
he, he pointed, he says, anyone sitting there? I said, no, go ahead. So he sat down there and he sat in a chair and him and his girl talked and he drank his drink and he stood up and he reached in his pockets and then he sat down and he stood up again and, and he adjusted his belt and then he stood up again and then he fixed his shoe and he, the guy was not moving. And at some point, everybody kept walking by and, and kind of double neck and, you know, like rubber necking at the guy. And then at some point it dawned on me, like everybody started coming. It, it was Ace Freely. I didn't even know who he was. And I, I have to say at the time, I thought he looked kind of rough. Like, and I just thought this guy's like drunk or he's on Coke or something. Cause he cannot fucking sit still. <laughs> and he's sitting at my table. And, um, so that, that's my Ace Freely story. He, he asked if he could sit at my table, but I didn't know who he was. And then after, after he got recognized, of course, everybody started bombarding him with, with hellos and questions. And, and then the Bruce thing, Bruce had been booked to play as the special guest on the Shameless tour in 2000, so 20 years ago. And Alex was not only doing the Shameless tour, but it was kind of put together with some, some smaller level KISS conventions as well. So there was like a KISS tribute band or two, um, a couple other bands, one from Germany, one from like Belgium. And then Shameless was the headliner, and then Bruce would do the encore with us every night, which consisted of three shameless or three Kiss songs and one Shameless song that Bruce had played solos and stuff on the record. So we get to the we get to Dusseldorf, Germany, or wherever it was the first night, and we 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 start to play. Uh, you know, there's an event throughout the day, and then the show starts happening, and I'm kind of. You know, I'm a chatterbox on stage. Uh, I do a lot of David Lee Roth-esque Sebastian kind of stories and chatter. And at some point we do our show and now we come to the dressing room and we're going to go out for the encore. And I hadn't really known Bruce at this point, but he looks at me and he goes, hey, man, let's just get to the songs and kind of limit the talk. And without hesitating, I looked at him. I said, you just play guitar. I'll handle the rest. And he kind of looked at me like, like I was a fucking punk or a smart ass. But oh, hey, awesome. I'm a fucking pro too, Kulik, so chill the fuck out. And so we went out and we rocked for the next, you know, 20 minutes. And then over the next few days, Bruce was coming up to my table and he saw all this merchandise and CDs and DVDs. And he started asking me, he's like, hey you got a lot of stuff here. Like, who's your record label? And I was like, Oh, it's, it's RLS. And we started doing this, you know, such and such, you know, years ago. And he's like, yeah, I know, but you know, who's the record label? I'm like, well, I'm the record label. And yeah, I, I know that you're, 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 it's your band and your music, but who is your record label? Like who did all this? And I said, Bruce, I did stuff. Cause I know you did it, but who's the guy that did, I said, Bruce, I did all of it. It's all me. He's like, Really? So then the next day on the bus, he said, Stevie, come and sit with me. I want to talk to you. And then we talked about a few things, and I kind of helped Bruce do Audio Dog and kind of set him up on how to take his stuff to another level. And uh, we've become good buddies over the years. And, you know, me and Bruce have a good good relationship. And I think that, you know, he didn't know me and I didn't know him. And I think at some point he... He, uh, he he realized that I wasn't just all hot air on stage, but also had a little business sense. And so, yeah, I, I've kind of given 
I was giving some guidance to to young Bruce there. <laughs> there <you go. laughs> All right, Paul Stanley. Okay, this is the final kiss one. Um, so Michael, our drummer, Michael Lean, the original Tough drummer, he started a deli, uh, old New York deli and bakery, about twenty five, twenty six years ago in the in the early. Well, mid-90s after he had left Tough. And he's since opened multiple stores, Camarillo, Newberry Park. He has one up in Mammoth. He has a new one in Woodland Hills. And his one up in Mammoth is right at the base of the mountain. A lot of famous people go in there, Adam Sandler, Tony Hawk, actors, famous you know, people of all walks, Justin Bieber, and Paul Stanley. Because Evan likes to snowboard, I guess. So Paul goes up to Mammoth with his family and his, his older son. And I guess he had come into the store a few times. And some other people that worked there were older people. And they recognized him. And they're like, hey, the guy from Kiss was in today. And he bought a bagel. And he was really nice. And he tipped us 20 bucks or whatever. And so Michael had heard that, you know, the guy from Kiss was in there. And then I guess a few days goes by. And it was during, you know, the, the winter vacation. And Paul was in there again. So somebody said, hey, Paul. Paul Stanley from Kisses here. So Michael saunters out from the back and, you know, walks around like he does anyways and greets people at the table. Hey, you know, how's, how's your food today? How was the service? Thanks for coming in. And he, hit, he gets to Paul's table and he says, hey, uh, how's, the, how's the food today? And Paul's like, oh, I love it here. We always come. And Michael says, you know, oh, that's awesome. I've heard, you know, some of my staff have told me that you've been in here. I'm, I'm a fan and I used to be in a band as well. And Paul goes, oh, really? And Michael says, yeah, I, I, I'm the drummer from Tough. And Paul, like, is literally mid-bite in the bag. He looks at him and he goes, you mean Stevie Tough? <laughs> and Michael goes, yeah, Stevie Tough. He goes, Stevie Rochelle? He goes, how the hell is Stevie doing? And Michael goes, well, you know, Paul, he's, he's out there flying the flag. He's doing his thing, still, still beating the bricks with it. And Paul says, you tell Stevie I said hi, you know, and – uh so I thought it was I thought it was very enlightening and endearing and cool that you know Paul was Paul was you know really friendly and said hey tell 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 your singer I said hi yeah. I know he's a hard worker he's out there doing his thing and and so that's my uh, that's my potpourri of kiss stories There's probably some <laughs> other tidbits along the way but I've always had good run-ins with everybody everybody from Kiss has always been nice to me so I'm I'm grateful for that. That's great. Good story, Stevie. Thank you, Stevie. Since you know Tommy Thayer, what do you what do you think of Tommy Thayer being the lead guitarist in Kiss yep. now? I mean, I'm 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 okay with it. You know, I know I know there's some people that just can't get past it, um, and I don't just say that about Tommy being. You know, I mean, I think it's funny because I've heard the stories. You know, Frank and Ace and. I mean, there's been times I've run a story on one or the other and somebody would message me and go, dude, the story you did on Ace Freely, that's actually a Tommy photo. I was like, oh, sorry, I better change that. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and the same applies for, you know, there's, there's people that don't like that ZP is singing in Skid Row. They don't like that Mitch Malloy is singing in Great White. You know, they don't like that... You know, Robert Mason is singing in Warrant or Jizzy is singing in Quiet Riot. And, you know, I mean, at some point, 
there, there's a whole mix of how this stuff has happened. You know, uh, you know, Jeff Tate obviously is not in Queensryche. And, um, and, and the biggest story of all, George is not in tough. You know, I know everyone's freaking out about that still, but, uh, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why certain bands don't exist in their original lineup. And, you know, for the, for the worst reasons and the saddest reasons, some guys have passed on, meaning yeah. Janie or Kevin. And, and that's, you know, you know, Robin King Crosby from rat, you know, but, um, uh, it's funny over the years in, and when I've written about the tough diaries, I've talked throughout the first 15 chapters. And at some point I would compare myself and Michael to Gene and Paul and Todd and George were basically ACE and Peter. And, you know, to the kiss fans, they're like, Oh my God, they were that bad. <laughs> I'd have to laugh that, you know, they weren't that bad, but, you know, me and me and Michael were very much the worker bees. We were very much, I guess you would say, leaders. We were clean and sober. We weren't party guys. And Todd and George were like, you know, Todd's whole MO was like, I'm drug free. If the drugs are free, they're for me, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of stuff that that we, we had going on through our career only was obviously way down the totem pole uh, compared to where some of my kiss is at. So, you know, bands having different guys and even, even if it is the same guys, you know, we don't all look the same. I'm 54. I don't look like I looked in the Mark Weiss photos when I was 24. Uh, so three, but, three decades is, uh, is a lot of time for anybody. So, but but when I saw you last year at Rock Timber, you guys were great. And I just I guess for me it's like right. you should have every right as a musician who started something to continue that on. If the other guys are not down with it, so be it. I was never like a very big Queensrÿche fan, but I think they're better with Todd Latore than they were with um, what's it, with Jeff Tate. So, you know, and I think that Robert Mason solved a huge right. problem for Great White because the guy that they had in before, the XYZ singer, just it wasn't good, you know. And and Robert Mason, I thought, has done great in Warrant. So I just don't understand why people just get so hung up on things and they don't last forever. Right. Well, and what you just said, you know, going back to, like, the things we've done – or the music we play, or even some of the merchandise and music-related stuff that I sell today, I've seen people that have come online and take shots at me. Oh, Stevie with his CD store, and oh, he's selling shit that's 30 years. That's 30 years ago. Why don't you move forward in life? I'm moving forward, you know? I well, yeah. took my daughter this morning to a driver's test. Passed it. You know, she's now driving a car. But... I, I said this the other day online because some people were talking about me selling records that were put out 25 years ago or 30 years ago. And I said, that's like, that's like saying that McDonald's is stupid for still selling the Big Mac. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know it's not the same level. The Big Mac was a, a bigger hit than, than the, the, what comes around goes around record or the fist first record or anything else that tough did. But the reality is, is that I'm not a quitter. 
I've never subscribed to that kind of theory. I, I'm, I'm an all-in person with, with most stuff. And so, you know, I joined Tough 33 years ago Saturday, last Saturday, July 11th. And I've been in the band the whole way. Of course, there was, a, I guess, essentially a, a hiatus from the end of 95 until I put out American Hair Band in 2001. But me selling any of our merch and the, the original look, the original image of what we had, or you know, whether it's on shirts or posters or reissued CDs, I'm going to continue to do that. It's, of course, on a much smaller level, but it's no different than Motley Crue. When Motley Crue did that, the final tour, which obviously wasn't the final tour, <laughs> a lot of their merchandise selections that people could buy were stuff from the Shout at the Devil era or the Too Fast for Love era. That was the imagery on, on, those, on the swag. And the same with Kiss. You know, the original look and the original sound of, of Kiss with those songs they did in the 70s make up about probably 75% of their live set, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, and that's, um, that's I the same with tough, right you know. Like, why don't you, why don't you do this or do that? No, go, go ahead, Stevie. Go ahead, finish your thought. No, I was, I was just saying that, you know, the same with tough. I, I have people that ask me. You know, when's the new, when's the new record coming out, or when's another record going to come out, or you know, at this point, Tufts put out eh, probably about a dozen products, and there's probably about four or five full-length records. There's a couple of live, a couple of compilations, you know, a special edition vinyl. But I also did a couple of solo records, and then a compilation best of solo record. I been involved with seven shameless records to date right now alex is is recording we're working on the eighth shameless record yeah i did um the tales from the porn band out of brazil which even though it's a name that a lot of people like it's a weird name i don't like it uh the record was very well received we're working on number two so most likely 2000 uh 2021 will have the eighth shameless record, the second tales from the porn record. You know, I had some other side projects along the way, like the, the, the goofy cheese heads with attitude. You know, we put out, we put out six, six, six products with that band in the nineties into the two thousands and between three or four bands, the website, a daughter, a son, you know, life in general, trying to, go to the gym and watch football and do whatever else I do. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that I put my heart and soul into, and I'm going to continue to sell those products, even if some of them are from 20 years ago or 25 years ago and making a new record for, for everybody to their liking. Why don't you get everybody back in the band? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do a reunion tour? Why don't you do it? It's like, man, if you knew the, the particulars to make that happen, it's why Guns N' Roses is only three guys. You know, right. it's it's not an easy situation, even for a small band. Because it's not easy for everybody to be on the same page. And, you know, one, so many of the fans think that it's like monkeys. They all live to get you guys all live together in the same apartment. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Right. And at this point, you know, like, you know, George, who hasn't played with us in the last 20 years, he lives in Florida. Michael's got a very successful business where he's got, you know, uh, 
three, four stores on the West coast of California. He's got rental properties. He's, he's moved on from music since 1993 and we're still friends. I go to his shops. He's been a soul too along the way. He, he, he was actually in the studio when we mastered the, the vinyl record. And he's, he's all for having me take and carry the torch with the band. And, and Todd, who came back about 12, 13 years ago, he's in Ohio. And he's got a food truck business with Billy that's, that's been very successful. They got three vehicles. They do all over northeastern Ohio through, you know, eight, nine months a year. And they do catering through the winter. And when we do do shows, it's me and Todd and usually Billy on guitar. We've had Howie Simon sub a few times for us. Howie's a great guitarist who's also played with everybody from Winger to Striper to Jeff Scott Soto. Um, great guy, super talented. And Billy, obviously, a lot of people know him because he played in Warrant with Janie. And then when Janie left, he played with Janie Solo. And he's filled in for Trickster and Quiet Riot. He's played with Paul Gilbert, a bunch of bunch of people and, and he you know he's got kids i got kids todd's got a wife this guy's this you know over here this guy's over there so getting everybody to get in the same van or get on the same flight and be in the same rock timber backstage area is not always that easy but right. uh it worked for us a couple a couple falls ago and that's when i ran into you tommy uh, yeah. i think i was probably filling a plate of food right yeah. i think yeah that's exactly what was going on Mm-hmm. So Stevie, we thank got... you for the compliments. That was that was a great time. That was a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It, I really, like I said, I seriously, I really enjoyed it, and that's why I, you know, we always say this because there are people who are just like it has to be the original four, which is fine if you feel that way. Great, stick with the original four, but don't try and wreck it for someone else who still wants to see what they're doing now any more than someone should come in and tell you you need to do something different i mean you're obviously you have records that are 25 or 30 years old big deal people still want that you know so am i supposed to stop listening to sergeant peppers because it's you know from 1967 i mean that's stupid right well the thing is you know the thing is what 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 fans see and I say fans because, you know, a lot of these fans have become friends over years as well. But when, when fans go back to the fact that they're like, hey, I heard that song Metal Health or Bang Your Head by Quiet Riot, their image is Kevin, Frankie, Rudy, and Carlos. And yeah. a lot of them don't even know that Rudy didn't even play on the record. Chuck Wright actually played on the record. Right. And Chuck Wright was in the band before Rudy. So... <clears throat> There's there's a sense of originality with Chuck being there, and 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 the same applies for other bands. I mean, there's a lot of times when people don't know the history of where where everything really started or stood or how it. I mean, Rat and Dokken and those guys and Great White. There's a lot of those guys that were like kind of in each other's bands at some point for a year here or two or there or six months there, and you know, Great White kind of evolved a few ways from the original EP. Um, until by the time Rock Me, uh, Rock Me, uh, what was it, Rock Me? And uh, that's yeah. they brought in other people, and I think Warren Black lost the gig. And But yeah, a lot of those guys have kind of been shuffled around. Stevie, I have to tell you, um, I love Shameless. Um, yeah. I love them. I think okay. that is such a, I have like all the CDs I love. Um, 
and like Big Bang Babies and all that kind of stuff. I think they're great. So you keep putting them out, I'll keep buying them. Just saying. Um, but I do have one thing. Um, well, that, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, as far as, you know, thanking me for the shameless stuff, that's that's a thank you to Alex more than anybody because it's it's his band, and I'm one of the, 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 the singers. It's usually me singing on three or four tracks, and Steve from Pretty Boy Floyd usually will sing on three or four. And then over the years, Alex has brought in, you know, various guests as well, like, you know, Bill Lewis has been on a few different CDs. Um, Sheree Curry from The Runaways has been on a CD. Uh, I think the guy from Alley Cat Scratch originally sang in a song. And, and then obviously guitar players from Tracy Guns to Gilby Clark. Eric Singer has played some drums on a few tracks. Bruce Kulik's been on, on a few Shameless records. So Shameless is kind of a, a German-based band with a, a U.S. all-star kind of lineup that kind of rotates in and out. And I always enjoy doing it. And it's, it's obvious, also helped me go all, all over Europe with, with them with, that Alex and Boris being based out of Munich. Yeah. And uh, also, um, I don't even remember what year it was. I went to Paladino's for a metal sludge party and metal school or metal shop, I think it was back then, was playing. I don't even know what year that was. Yeah. Um, well, the, the metal sludge parties were probably between 2000 and... I'd say maybe one or two and maybe up to like 2005. And we did have metal shop play and I did at some point jam with them. And I want to say that uh, they invited Bobby Blotzer up to play drums. And I got up and sang as well. Um, maybe we did a rat song or some Motley or something, but yeah. And, and when they were playing locally and we all would go see them, and anybody that was a guest in town, like people would come into town and then they'd say, oh, you got to see this band. Obviously, as people went back to their homes, whether it was in Chicago or Canada or Florida or Kansas City or wherever you were from, people would leave and say, oh, my God, I saw this band. that was amazing in L.A. at the Viper Room or the Roxy or wherever they played. And obviously, the Internet was just starting to really take off at that time. And Metal Sludge was we were really we, I love those guys, and I, I've known a bunch of them since 30 years ago. So I was pushing them on the sludge big time, saying, you got to check out Metal Shop or Metal School. You know, they obviously evolved the name there, and that was before they were Steel Panther. But they were a great a great band, a great time, a lot of fun. And those, yeah, were, that, those were some was, pretty awesome parties there. That was a great show. I actually have pictures from that show. It was so much fun. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but... Let's just say it was a very memorable evening. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, I have another question for you. Um, so my friend. Go ahead. I'm, I'm taking over the show now, Michael. Um, my friend Kevin from Pittsburgh says he knows you. And he wants to ask you if you remember. Kevin when, Elder? Yes. Yep. Yep, I know Kevin Elder. Okay, what's the question? Well, anyway, he's my best friend. So anyway, he wanted to know if you remember breaking your finger at graffiti um, when you fell and had bent straight back during what goes around, what comes around goes around tour. Do you remember that? Yeah, what happened 
is we were opening up for Lita Ford, if I'm not mistaken, and the band went out and they started the set. So the drummer, George and Todd are out on stage doing the very intro to the very first song and the crowd is pumping and everybody's screaming. And I'm on the side of the stage, you know, like like uh, like Vince Neil or Brett Michaels or Sebastian Bach, waiting to make my entrance. And just while I'm getting ready to run, I start running full speed towards the front to grab my mic. And I got about two steps in front of the drum riser, and I tripped. And I totally face planted right onto the floor and drum riser in front of everybody oh. and smashed my hand onto the floor. I don't remember if my finger was broke, but I know. I, I literally, like, you know, caught myself with my hand, but, like, my face half-planted. But, yeah, that was my grand entrance to a packed club called Graffiti's in Pittsburgh, me running out and then just tripping and eating shit in front of everybody before I got to sing one note. It's, it's, it's funny how he told me to mention that, right? Out of all the other stuff, it's like, yeah, it's good about the time he fell on stage. <laughs> yeah, can't get enough of that story. Yeah. You know? Can't get enough of that one. All right, that's all I got. He asked me a couple things too, but I won't go anywhere. Stevie, Stevie. So we've been. Oh, good. I'm all here. You guys want to shoot me a couple questions? Go. Yeah. So we've been at this for about an hour and a half, and before we wrap up and give you a chance to plug whatever you want okay. to plug, we got one more guest question for you. And let me ask you the question okay. and see if you can guess who is asking this. I'm supposed to ask you how good Jesus Favre looked in purple. Oh, uh, that's probably Izzy Presley. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, we love Izzy. Am I right? Yes, you are. <laughs> and, and and Stevie, well, love. I, I'll 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 be honest. Go ahead. I'll, I'll be honest. When when Favre when Favre went to the Jets, I didn't really care, and when he went to the Vikings, I didn't really care either. But when he started playing and, and obviously winning a lot, he was doing great. I I was a Brett Favre fan. Sure, I'm a Packer fan. I'm a diehard Packer fan since birth. But I was also a Brett Favre fan. And the Packers don't have what we have if it wasn't for Favre. Favre changed everything for the Packers. And so I was a Brett Favre fan. And when he left, I didn't hate him. You know, there, there was some people in Wisconsin that were so mad, so mad at him that if his daughters would have got, you know, gunned down by ISIS, they would have cheered. I mean, they were so mad at Brett, which I – like that's the kind of blind devotion that I think becomes stupid. And it's like the kiss fans who are mad at Tommy and Eric for doing the gig. It's just right. like, listen, you know, I mean, with respect, you know, everybody likes the original guys. Tommy, Tommy, you know, had to teach Ace's souls again when they brought him back for those, whatever tours. And, you know, when you're running an organization at that level, you just can't risk anything anymore. And, and, you know, with respect, Peter and Ace have deteriorated in their abilities. And I think the same applies to select personnel related to Guns N' Roses. You know, I mean, I, I, I think Steven's a great guy. I love him. But I don't think Steven could do a three-hour show uh, for, 
40 stadium dates over a summer. I just don't, I don't think it would happen. I think something would take place, whether it was medical or otherwise. And, you know, Axel and Izzy or Axel and Duff and Slash have put together a, a super group of players there and they're, they're doing business. And the same applies for Gene and Paul. They at some point decided to go with the safer bet. And that's like, we're going to bring Tommy in and Eric in to fill the, the role for these two guys. And, and of course it wasn't just Gene and Paul's decision as well. There was a lot of, and I'm not, I'm not up on all the, the inside of Ace and Peter, but I know there was a lot of like, well then fuck you. I quit. You know, there was a lot of those kind of threats and shit that went along. Right. And I don't like what I've made. So I want a bonus or fuck you. And at some point they're like, Oh, we'll, t- we'll take Ace instead or we'll take Tommy instead. So yeah. It's just, and, and I'm getting off track, but that's, that's how I felt about Favre. Favre was great. I liked Favre and, you know, had you guys went to a Super Bowl and beat, what was it? New Orleans in that game. I think it would have been, uh, it would have been great for Favre, but you know, in hindsight, I'm glad you guys didn't go because you're still winless <laughs> when it comes to that game. So yeah, there's truth to that. We're still miserable. I, um, I love and the pack has four trophies. So. Well, and I love that the the back and forth between the fans. You know, it's it makes everything right. more interesting. Go Steelers! It does, <laughs> you know, and it's 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 a little ball busting, and you know, I've I've seen the news stories too, like when the pack comes to. You know, when it comes to uh, Minneapolis and we play that game and then you guys win, that, you know, the locals take those big banners and they go out to the freeways and they hang them over the, over the overpasses. So as all the Packer fans drive back to Wisconsin, there's a bunch of ha-ha-has and big purple letters on the side of the freeway <laughs> as everybody drives home all miserable. Like, I kind of find that to be funny because that's kind yeah. of hell's legend, you know? Yes, Exactly. <laughs> You got to be able to take it with a grain of salt, right? You can't call the Better Business Bureau because you're mad about some stuff like that. That's just not. <laughs> no, you can't. Right? <laughs> oh my! The Packer fans are making fun of me. I'm calling the Better Business Bureau. <laughs> <laughs> I just overheard you guys. I wanted to chime in. To all you Kiss fans, hey, if all the if all these KISS fans are that upset, they should actually write the Better Business Bureau and complain. Gene <laughs> and Paul brought in Frank and Ace. We are not happy. Start filling out forms. Find KISS's P.O. box. Send away. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be somebody that'll do it. It's probably done. So Minnesota should have won a Super Bowl in 1998. Yes. Cunningham and Randy Moss. Oh, you mean when you, when your kicker was when your kicker was forty your kicker made forty two field goals in a row and then when he needed it he fucking shanked it? That one? <laughs> that was That's the year. one. That was right? <laughs> <Just> their year. <laughs> You're like, you got to that's Randall the one. Cunningham, Randall Cunningham. I think it was against the Falcons. Yeah. Was Even that if... against the Atlanta Falcons, right? Yep. Look, even if we don't have a good year, I just want football this year. Amen. Woo. Right. I'm gonna go back. Well, out. and this, the thing, the thing is this: you guys understand this. The Packer fans, like, 
okay, so now now the season happens, and and at some point the Bears are you know a kick away from the Super Bowl or the Vikings. You guys losing those games are the equivalent of a Super Bowl win for Packer fans. Like the entire state is just in elation when you guys lose that big of a game. And I'm sure the same applies on your end. Like, oh, yeah, like when you guys choked in you know, Seattle. Rogers meltdown on, on a final drive is like, yeah, like exactly. Like us losing to Seattle, falling apart yes. in the last seven minutes when everybody was sure we were going to a Super Bowl. That's also like for Vikings fans is like just the most, the best thing ever. It's almost better for some. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, good. Now I can, I'm can. i going to have to start giving you crap when the year starts so we can go back and forth because I had no idea. Oh, I, 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 I do that with all – I have a lot of friends, you know, that I bust balls, you know. I know that – sending you know, I'm starting to send you memes. Like Bruno from Danger Danger. He's a Bruno, – Bruno from Danger Danger is a, is a Cowboys fan. I always text him when the Cowboys games are on. And Steve, you guys probably know Steve Ponchod, Ponch from Michigan, who's a big Kiss guy. He's a Cowboys fan as well. So we always I bust his balls, and of course he busts mine, and it's all fun. My husband, my husband, get the hell out of here! My husband is a Cowboys fan who's chiming in right now, and you know what hell it is to live in a house. With this, me being oh, a Steelers no. fan and my husband being a Cowboy fan. Oh, oh my God. Sickening. Sickening. I get very emotional during you football. You can't turn around without seeing shit like this everywhere you look. You can't see that. It's better off that you can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big Steeler fan. You, know, you could always consider... There's another D word besides Dallas you could consider divorce. So just so you know. <laughs> when we first start dating, my brother is like, "Are you sure? Are you sure he's okay?" Because I he goes, "I can't get past that whole Dallas Cowboy thing." He's like, "You couldn't find anybody else?" I'm like, "Really? We're gonna judge it on that?" He's like, "Yeah, kind of." Our priorities in our household: Steeler fame and. Dallas has its own set of problems, too. So, you know, it's all good. Yeah, I can't wait for football season. Now, Stevie, I'm going to, like, make you my friend on the Facebook thing. I'm just going to give you a hell. <laughs> I'm going to find okay. you. I'm going to find you. Bring it. <laughs> Stevie's going to have to remove Mitch LaFon as a friend to make room for you, Lisa. Dad, I, I hope I hope you'll be able to do that, Stevie. Can you can you remove Mitch from me? Is that okay? Yeah, I I don't think me and Mitch are friends anymore. <laughs> I embarrassed him, but you know, the here's the thing. There's something. This is an old saying that goes way back. The truth hurts. And I told the truth. Yeah. I told the truth about <clears throat> my experience with Mitch, what I thought of Mitch, and I exposed some things that, you know, hey, admittedly, you know, I, 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 I said some things, I shared some things that were, were private messages. Mitch had told me some things in private that I then shared to, to people in the public. But let's, let's be realistic here. 
it's not like Mitch shared to me somebody's banking information or something to do with, you know, a scandal was, you know, a marriage. No, he, he told me that he thought Slaughter got a reality check. He told me that, you know, L.A. Guns ship was sinking. He told me, you know, that Gene was a douche, um, that Sebastian was a lunatic. Again, these are things that a lot of people have probably already said publicly. I'm sure that certain guys in certain bands that we just mentioned probably don't give a fuck what Mitch said. But the fact that Mitch got so upset over the fact that I revealed these secret little comments of his, it's it's really not a big, you know, it, it just goes to show you the level of how thin his skin is that he was all upset about it. It's like I didn't share some big, drastic inside information. I just I basically exposed the fact that he was two-faced and, you know, he called Mitch Malloy plastic Malloy. I mean, again, this is just some surface little name calling. But the fact that I exposed it made him look silly. And it's true. And the truth hurts. And that's why I get all but heard about it but enough about mitch lafoni let's let's move along it's great to talk to everybody i appreciate you guys having me on stevie you know, plug plug plug, plug whatever you want to plug um, and, and if you remember we we were the first site to, to take that video where gene drank the water or the blood and then it dripped down and it looked like it was coming out of his cod piece so it looked like he peed do you remember that mm-hmm that was class. And we shared that, that video and it went viral. Like it went everywhere. It was everywhere. And then Gene's like, I did not pee on stage. We're like, <laughs> of course we knew he didn't pee, but it looked very much like he was. So yeah. of course that was another sludgy headline that everybody just grabbed and then it went everywhere. And it looked great though, because, you know, seeing Gene in a costume peeing on stage in front of 10,000 people is actually pretty fun. So yeah. anyways, I want to thank everybody. If you haven't already looked, go check out metalsludge.tv. The site's still there. There's old stuff. You can Google old stuff. You know, my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything is at Stevie Tough or Stevie Rochelle or Tough. You know, if you use the Google search bar, you'll probably find me in every platform, including all the musical outlets, Spotify. I have stores on Amazon, eBay, big cartel store at Metal Sludge, and you could buy all the old records, Discs, There's probably DVDs, even a review some vinyl, some shirts, some collectibles. <laughs> probably even what? I said there's probably even a review of you on Better Business Bureau. Yeah, I probably have a bad review there somewhere, you know, <laughs> for being a bad person. <laughs> but, but yeah, guys, get out there and support you know, Stevie's. Stevie's awesome, guys. I'm get okay out there and support that. him. Yeah, and also, last last but not least, check out my new artist that I manage. It's a country rock artist named Early Ray out of Rock Hill, South Carolina, that's just released a brand new single video and full-length release called Apple Pie. And it's, okay. it's, a, it's a remake of Cherry Pie by Warrant, but it's done country style. I guess they call it countryfied, or they call it the modern country that's kind of got a rock vibe, I guess the term is bro country. So it's kind of bro country-ish. It's Come cherry on. pie with some lyric changes, and it's called apple pie. And if you go look on YouTube, there's a video, there's a cameo by 
none other than the cherry pie girl herself, Bobby Brown. And it's uh, it's pretty slick. It's a very uh, very slick video and production, and it's been getting a lot of buzz. We just released it about a week ago. And um, anybody that's a fan of Warrant or Janie Lane or even, you know, country, the, the country crossover, bro country rock that a lot of those artists are kind of doing, you might find uh, Early Ray pretty kick-ass because there's some, there's some cool stuff in there. And he's a Kiss fan. He's a huge Kiss fan as well. He's got, he's got some Kiss history as well. Nice. And what's his name again? The, the band name is Early Ray, like early in the morning, and then Ray, R-A-Y. But the singer's name is Rayan Belshear. And I think if you look at his Twitter or some of those accounts, there's a, there's a couple of pics of him where he's wearing Kiss makeup, and he's in front of a, I think he's got a Kiss pinball machine in his, in his, in his, in his office at his house. And he's actually going to be a special guest on the... Izzy Presley, another effing podcast tonight, where I think they talk about the Kiss solo records. Excellent. And and one of the first things that Rayan says in his bio, there's a bio of him on YouTube, when he was like 10, his grandpa bought him an acoustic guitar, and then his brother was playing Kiss stuff, Kiss songs, and he saw a Kiss video. So when his grandpa bought him the guitar... He wanted to smash it in the kitchen because he thought it would be cool <laughs> because he saw Paul Stanley do it. But then he realized his grandpa told him, if you smash it, you're not getting another one. So instead of smashing it, he learned to play it. So now it's, you know, 30 some years later. But yeah, he's he's a Kiss fan as well. And it was because he saw his brother had had the rock and roll all over record on his bedroom uh, floor or something. And he saw the blood coming out of the one guy's mouth. So that was the attraction. The one guy's bleeding. I want to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Stevie, thank you so much, man. Thank you for joining us. This was fun. Your stories are awesome. Yes. Thank you, Stevie. Well, thank you to all of you. I I really appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a great time. I just hope that it'll come out okay when I'm there's a little bit of a delay sometimes between what we're saying. So we're, it's kind of like the newscasts right now when there's, they're kind of stumbling all, all over each other a little bit, but hopefully my story's coming across. Um, like I said, all my, my kiss interactions over the years have always been fun. Everybody in that band has always been cool to me. And um, you guys have been cool to me. Uh, me and Tommy hang had a hang I guess at the buffet, essentially behind the stage at Rock Timber for a short yep. moment or two, and me and Michael have chatted a few times, and yep. and now I got a new friend in Pittsburgh, so it's all good. Yay! It is, and we'll see. I'll see you again. Okay, well, I'll let you guys go, and uh, to everybody right. else. It's fun stories. I mean, you know, let let's be honest. In the hair metal world, metal sludge, legendary, just legendary. Yeah. They were breaking news before anybody was. And they do it with such a great sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's like, who, I still remember, who's behind Metal Sludge? Who is this person? Yeah. It's got to be somebody in the scene that knows what's going on. Yeah. yeah. So it was such such a fun web. Well, it's it still is. It still I is. mean, it still we is there. To ask, we forgot to ask when, I can't remember when it came out, when he, like, 
revealed himself that he was behind Metal Sludge. I forgot what I forgot to ask when that was. Do you guys remember? No, I don't remember exactly when it was, but he he alluded to the fact that once the money started coming in, they kind of had yeah. to reveal themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, is Gene's stories fun? That Gene <laughs> phone call, the way he recounted it. It's, Excellent. It Excellent. It's it's that's Gene. Gene. The great pop, the great pop on the floor. Yep, I, I can. I just, I can that imagine that. Could you imagine you spilling great pop on Gene's floor? <laughs> <laughs> should we do? What should homework be then? So, uh, are you a fan of Tough? Have Have you, you listened have to any of the Tough albums? Yeah, and then Metal Sludge. And are you a Metal Sludge reader? Do you remember it? Have you participated in the gossip board on Metal Sludge? Ever? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Because that gossip board is still alive and active, and it's yep. it's uh, it's tough. It's tough to be in there. No pun intended. Yeah. I remember my husband Brian saying, "And you don't want to piss Stevie Rochelle off on that board." No. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to mess with Stevie Rochelle. Yeah. So so there there. The former co-host has found out. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so there you go. You've got your homework. Um, what were your favorite stories that he shared? Are you a tough fan? Have you heard tough? Did you see tough metal sludge board? Were you a reader? What'd you think of it? Um, yeah, let us know what you think. Head over to all of our social medias, leave your homework answer. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that red subscribe button. If you're listening on Spotify, hit that green follow button. And on and, iTunes, subscribe and leave a review and a rating. And also, too, check out that movie, Tough Turf. Yes. Yes. As well, with uh, it, and I just had the name, too. Shit, I keep forgetting. Uh, James Spader. Oh, that's it. You're exactly right. Yep. Yeah. That's who it is. Yeah. All right. That's it, everybody. Three sides of the coin. We're out of here. We'll, and Lisa, by the way, thank you so much today. <laughs> this will be the highest rated show ever. Ever. Thanks, <laughs> and everybody watch the show now. I went like this, and the show went. Yep. 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 I think we behaved ourselves, but thank you. Yep. He did it. <laughs> All right, everybody. That's it. We'll see everybody next week. the show go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of three sides of the coin thanks download your free free copy of the kiss school of marketing 11 lessons i learned working with kiss the number one downloaded business book on noise trade go to books.noisetrade.com slash michael brandvold you're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. So you love the show. 
go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.